Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, May 16th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, as I was saying, the Mo News Podcast, I don't know if you remember the Howard Stern movie Private Parts from the late 90s where they had him say WNBC, <laughs> WN. So I'm like, <laughs> as I was like, the Mo News Podcast, I was kind of, that was going through my head. What made, I don't know what made you think of that, but um, that's one of my husband's favorite movies, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the WNBC. life story of Howard Stern, WNBC. <laughs> um, Jill, so many people listen to us every day on this podcast, and they now have the option in their email inbox of a newsletter, a compliment to this podcast. First, let me start by saying I am so excited for our relaunch. I think we really got it right. We spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what should go in a daily newsletter, how long it should be, how short it would be. Anyone who knows me knows I'm like short and sweet, short and sweet. And Moshe's like, more information, more information. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a struggle last year. When, when we had, uh, let's call it Mo Newsletter version 1.0 last year, twice a week, it was also twice a week. So we felt we had to, or it was two to three times a week. So we felt we had to jam much more uh, into the newsletter. At least I did. And Jill's like, Moshe, it is way too long. No one is reading this thing. <laughs> and so now we have the opportunity to reimagine it relaunch it. It's now daily. Uh, and we're trying to keep it short and sweet for everybody. And so far, the feedback has been awesome. I actually think it is a great compliment as well to the Instagram feed, because I know that there's a lot of people, myself included. Sometimes I go on Instagram just to get the news from the Mo News Instagram account. <laughs> and the problem is, once you go on Instagram, you get sucked into yep. your friends on vacation and the cooking and whatever else you're subscribed to or whoever else you follow. And all of a sudden, it's 45 minutes later and you're like, oh my God, I forgot to pick my kids up from school. So anyway, I think that this is really helpful just if, for people who maybe want to cut down on their social media use. If you don't get it yet, head over to mo.news, our uh, new website. You can click on the newsletter tab, throw your email in there and uh, subscribe. And you'll be getting it Monday through Friday mornings. I imagine there will be major breaking news events where we'll do extra copies. We'll try to do a deep dive every day on one topic. Uh, it'll be in line with what we do here in this podcast, as well as a dozen or so links and uh, our fan favorite on this day, also in the newsletter. All right, now for the headlines. Americans are keeping their cars longer than ever what it says about the state of the economy. A special counsel looking at the FBI and its treatment of Donald Trump and Russia is out with its report. We've got the details. President Biden and House Speaker McCarthy are set to meet again today to try to reach a deal that would prevent the U.S. from defaulting on its debt as we are just two weeks away from that deadline. A scary incident at a congressman's office in Virginia where a man came in swinging a bat and sent two staffers to the hospital. The artificial intelligence app ChatGPT is about to get even smarter. A Nigerian chef attempts to break the world record for the longest nonstop cooking session we're talking multiple days here. It gives new meaning, Jill, to the expression, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. It's a good story. And by the way, the message behind why this chef is doing it, 
I think is very interesting. Speaking of chefs, Martha Stewart makes history as the oldest woman on the cover of Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, mind blown, officially. Jill, I've reached out to the oxygenarian in my life, my wife's grandmother, who's also in her 80s for her thoughts. I'll have that later in this podcast. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> and Mosh has on this day in history. Jill, you probably haven't thought about it in a while, but I have the history of the nickel for you. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> okay, good. All right, but let's get to the news here. Many of you are probably listening to this podcast from your car. So we figured that we should start right there today. Based on the latest data, it is likely that it may be the oldest car that you've had in quite a while. More Americans are holding onto their cars longer than ever. The average age of a vehicle on the road just hit 12 and a half years. That is according to a new report. And it comes as the cost to buy a car feels increasingly expensive to most Americans, especially when paired with the higher loan rates that we're now seeing. So in just three years, the average price for a new car jumped 24% to $48,000, according to Edmunds.com. The average monthly loan payment up to almost 800 bucks. Buying a used car, meanwhile, won't save you all that much money. You're still looking at nearly 30 grand. So more Americans are just sticking with what they've already got, according to that data, even if it means more trips to the repair shop. So the average age of a car on the road, uh, nearly 13 years, almost bar and bat mitzvah age there, Moshe. Um, it's more than three months longer uh, than last year. And it is the highest annual increase since the Great Recession in 2008, 2009. Passenger cars on the road are about 13.6 years old, which means they're made in 2010. SUVs and trucks are slightly newer, 11.8 years old. And keep in mind, that is just the average age of cars. About 14 million cars currently on the roads are at least 25 years old. We did the math. That means that the cars were made in 1998 or earlier. We're very good at addition and subtraction here at the uh, Mo News podcast. But we actually had to check the numbers, Jill, because I was like, wait, 1998 was 25 years ago? So we double-checked that. And in fact, we can confirm here at Mo News that 1998 was 25 years ago. And that means that a lot of those cars have got CD players in them. Correct. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you own any CDs, any of you, but uh, your car may still have one of them. And it comes, Jill, as you mentioned, the price of everything going up uh, and that people are just kind of sitting tight here. In many cases, sometimes they're repairing their cars for more money than the car is worth. And that's according to some mechanics that I've been speaking to. My dad actually sells auto parts in the Midwest. Uh, and so we're in touch with a lot of them. And they've been seeing uh, more and more cars uh, that are uh, you know, built in the 90s, built in the 80s, that people are just trying to keep going several hundred thousand miles now. Now, what made this story so interesting is that as this average vehicle age is going up, it does come as we've seen this renewed push for electric cars. S&P, which put out these numbers, claims that new electric vehicle sales increased 58% last year with almost 800,000 cars sold. Uh, they claim that the average age of an electric vehicle is about three and a half years. Now, one of the knocks on electric cars, as many of them have been on the pricier side, and so car companies, along with the U.S. government, have been pushing for more affordable electric vehicles. There's a whole bunch of new federal and state tax credits that were passed last year to try to incentivize people to get into those newer vehicles. 
And Jill, I just find that so interesting that at a time when Americans are keeping their older cars even longer, it comes as we're going to have this wholesale change. You've seen laws changing in states like New York and California, which will ban sales of new gas-powered cars soon, really trying to push electric cars. And so you have these two realities sort of happening at the same time. Moshe, I'm still thinking about the CD players in some of these cars. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so interesting, Jill? There was a story out over the weekend, I think we've actually done on the podcast before, about all the new cars that will no longer have AM radio, which has existed for so long, because there's this sense that AM radio interferes with electric cars. So some people still go on their CD player, while new cars don't even have AM radio anymore. Uh, many people, of course, have XM satellite radio, etc. Jill, I used to have one of those black vinyl uh, carrying cases for the CDs. Of course, yes. And then I kept moving with them, moving with them through the MP3 era, through the streaming era. I think they're in a box somewhere. Because like, what do you do with them? Like, do you you feel like you can't throw them away. Case the logic, time, the case logic. Oh, the case logic case. <laughs> and then you reorganize your CDs, you do them alphabetically. You do them based on, you know, like a, a whole bunch of things. Like that was the thing, the case logic big black case and then you had to have multiple ones obviously if you know you ran out of space i think those are collecting dust in garages across america but we digress here back to the topic at hand uh jill these numbers related to people keeping their cars longer than ever came as we got new data on monday related to u.s household debt which now tops 17 trillion dollars for the first time so this is the amount of debt we as consumers have. It now tops $17 trillion again. From January through April, Americans' debt increased in practically all categories. Mortgages, student loans, credit cards, and yes, those auto loans that we just discussed. What's interesting here, and some context people should keep in mind, typically in the first quarter of a year, we see a drop in credit card debt as people pay off their bills, they cut back after that holiday spending. And that's not something we saw over the last few months. And that's something that economists are closely watching, especially as there's larger concerns about the state of the US economy. Moshe, I just want to be clear because we're going to be talking about the debt ceiling and we've been talking about the debt ceiling. This is entirely different. That That right. is debt that the American government has. This is consumer, personal consumer debt. Right. The American government has $31.4 trillion in debt. You, the consumer, 350 million Americans. You guys have 17 trillion. So you're at about half of what the government has. But again, not really apples and oranges, sort of, kind of, sort of. Anyway, but yes, 17 trillion is what we as consumers have on our credit cards, mortgages. And by the way, about 70% of our debt is in mortgages. Uh, which is not surprising. Jill, we'll end with this factoid because we saved some good news for you as we talked about everything else on this podcast. Uh, gas prices are continuing to come back down to earth. They've fallen a dollar from this time last year when we were about to see $5 at the pump. Right now, the U.S. national average as we head into Memorial Day weekend, $3.50 according to AAA, uh, just in time for the driving season. And the feeling right now among those who watch this is that it should remain there in the mid to high threes for a bit. That is a lot better than seeing $5 a gallon gas. There is something traumatic about that. All right, switching gears, special counsel John Durham is out with his final report. He is the federal special counsel who was appointed four years ago during the Trump administration to investigate the FBI. The focus of his more than 300-page report was the FBI's conduct around its probe into Trump and Russia. In it, Durham accused FBI leaders of displaying, quote, a serious lack of analytical rigor. 
and relying significantly on investigative leads provided or funded directly or indirectly by Trump's political opponents. Durham was referring the campaign staffers of Hillary Clinton, who was then the Democratic nominee for president. The release of Durham's report comes nearly four years after then-Attorney General Bill Barr first assigned the longtime federal prosecutor to look into the origins of the investigation into alleged collusion between Russia and Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. Barr shared Trump's belief that what became known as Russiagate stemmed from a deep state plot to frame Trump as a Russian agent and to tie him to Russia's 2016 election interference. While Trump predicted that Durham would uncover, quote, the crime of the century, the investigation never found that level of abuse. Durham's efforts to prosecute two individuals both ended in acquittal. A third ended in a guilty plea with no prison time. His investigation was also marred by infighting ethical questions and allegations that Durham had torpedoed his own reputation and had become a Trump lackey. So, Jill, just a quick reminder for everybody, since we've been hearing a lot about special counsels, that this is one of the three special counsel investigations that we've been watching. Number one is still the ongoing one into Trump, both his classified records in Mar-a-Lago and uh, what he was involved with on January 6th. That's number one. Number two, the special counsel who's investigating a separate individual who's investigating President Biden and his classified records. And then there was this investigation by John Durham over these four years, the investigation into the investigation of Donald Trump and Russia, Uh, especially as former President Trump and his allies were crossing their fingers and hoping that this would uncover a large plot. It's sort of similar, Jill, and the result here is similar to the hope Democrats had about tying Donald Trump to Russia uh, and the whole, uh, you know, PP tape and all these various things that came out in 2016, uh, all these allegations that came out. But as it turned out, the FBI did not uncover some major collusion between Trump and Russia or coordination between Trump and Russia. There were sort of aspects of it and the Mueller investigation found that, but there wasn't some like large plot of Putin and Trump working together to take the election. So that was the result of the original FBI investigation. And then Trump said, well, this whole thing was BS. Let's investigate the investigation and show that there was a huge plot to get me, a deep state plot to get me inside the FBI. So now Durham, millions of dollars, four years, as you mentioned, two prosecutions that went to acquittal, one prosecution that was basically a plea deal uh, over a uh, uh, forged email that had served no jail time. And what does he come up with in 300 pages in this report that came out yesterday? Well, basically, that the FBI had some really incompetent people, proceeded with some shoddy investigating, but no large deep state plot. So as it turns out, after now, what are we, in 2023? Seven years, two investigations, both sides effectively disappointed here, that there was no grand plot that they uh, were suspecting, but just some shoddiness, some low-level nonsense, etc. And what's interesting here in this Durham report is it doesn't, at the end, say, of the following people need to be arrested, uh, wholesale change at the FBI, etc. And just finds that there were some people really bad at their job, and there is some need for some reform within the FBI. But you're not going to see a bunch of people getting marched to prison, which was the hope of former President Trump, especially as he goes into another election. What's interesting is that even Durham in the report, Jill, stopped short of saying that political bias, that basically a bunch of liberals in the FBI, uh, is the reason why they made the decisions they do. He doesn't even say that. He says that the FBI handling of Trump exhibited what's called confirmation bias, reinforced 
assumptions about what the Russians would do. And that is part of the reason uh, that they pursued leads here that he feels uh, were unethical and that at the same time, they weren't pursuing the same leads on Hillary Clinton. So we will wait now to hear from Durham. Jim Jordan up on Capitol Hill, a big believer in a grand plot. We'll have him up to testify. So expect to hear more on that, Jill. But it just I thought it was really interesting and sort of poetic that uh, the investigation into the investigation that one side thought would reveal a grand plot and didn't, that that investigation, uh, which thought that they would find a grand plot, also didn't. And both sides are going to spin it however they want. Oh, it's amazing. I, I posted on the uh, Mo News Premium Instagram account, like the various headlines, how Fox is covering it, how the New York Times is covering it. And you can see how the uh, the spin machine is working, uh, depending on kind of the political slant uh, that you bring to it. But just keep in mind here, you know, I, I hope uh, this ex- explanation made sense for folks that ultimately, bottom line, Durham spent four years, found um, some, you know, uh, inappropriateness within the FBI, no illegality. And that's sort of where we're at now, four years later. I also want to mention that this investigation cost $6.5 million. um, And it took however many years. Most when special prosecutors get assigned, do they have any sense of urgency or deadlines that they're working with? Because this feels like a rather long time to be investigating this. And certainly the costs are piling up. I mean, there's special counsels, there's independent counsels. I mean, people might remember the Ken Starr investigation in the 90s. That lasted years and began with real estate dealings in Arkansas and ended with Monica Lewinsky's blue dress, right? And so in some cases, they have a specific agenda. In some cases, it diverges over time. And it's like, as things come up, uh, you know, if they find crimes, it's basically a crime pursuit. Can we find crimes? Let's look over here. Let's look over here. There's some crimes over here. Let's keep following up there. And so now you saw it with the Star investigation, which was independent counsel, which is slightly different, the Mueller investigation, uh, now the Durham investigation, and now we have two more left. They seem to be working with more urgency, though, especially the Trump special counsel investigation, given that we're coming up against an election. All right, we have a lot more news to get to, but I first want to tell you about a couple exclusive offers we have for you, the Mo News community, from a couple of our partners. I want to begin with Bull and Branch Sheets. We're so happy to be partnering with them again. It is a brand that helps you get an amazing night's sleep, and they have a great sale right now and deal for Mo News listeners. A reminder that Bull and Branch bedding is made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash. My wife, Alex, and I now have multiple sets, uh, and we've been loving them. And Bull and Branch has been bought by millions, including, as we learned recently, four American presidents, which is nearly 10% of presidents all time, Jill. What's great about Bull and Branch is they also spend a lot of time focused on the supply chain. It turns out that organic cotton, which they source from India, is better for the environment there, also better for the health of the farmers that farm organic cotton. We discussed this on the Instagram account recently. But let's get to the deal here. Starting right now, Mo News listeners will get 15% off site-wide on bullandbranch.com. Use our code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, to get 15% off over at bullandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, bullandbranch. The promo code again, MONEWS. And now to Athletic Greens. I have been using their AG1 supplement in the mornings. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder, it's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. 
With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer, and you can get a discounted monthly subscription or just try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Time now for the speed read from CBS News. A man with a metal baseball bat attacked two members of Democratic Representative Jerry Connolly's staff at his district office in Northern Virginia Monday morning. This is according to police. U.S. Capitol Police identified the suspect as 49-year-old Schwan Katran Pham of Fairfax, Virginia. He is in custody and faces charges of aggravated malicious wounding. The congressman was not at the office at the time of the attack. It happened shortly before 11 a.m. Monday. In a statement, the congressman said that the man, quote, asked for me before committing an act of violence against two members of my staff. The suspect here hit a senior aide in the head and then an intern who happened to be on her first day on the job. Uh, poor thing. They were brought to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. A spokesperson for the Fairfax City Police Department said officers were on the scene within five minutes. At this time, they say it's not clear what the suspect's motivation may have been. Federal court records show that someone with the same name as Pham with an address in Fairfax filed a lawsuit against the CIA in May of last year. It included a handwritten nonsensical complaint that the CIA wrongfully imprisoned him in what he called his lower perspective and was torturing him in the fourth dimension. Pham asked that he be cured and returned to normal condition by technology. He also demanded $29 million in compensation. The Justice Department filed to dismiss the case earlier this year. But the larger issue of violence against uh, members of the government remains a uh, very uh, concerning issue for U.S. Capitol Police, which last year investigated 7,500 cases of potential threats against members of Congress. That was a slight decrease from 2021 when there were 9,600 cases, but it's still a double from four years ago. Uh, I put up a chart recently on Instagram, Jill, just showing year by year over the last 10 years, the number of threats of violence against members of Congress It's something we've obviously seen some really tragic examples of the shooting of Gabby Giffords, the shooting of Steve Scalise at the uh, congressional softball game. And so uh, it continues to remain an issue here, especially given the security situation we saw unfold there in Virginia on Monday. From Reuters, President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy are set to meet today at the White House to try to resolve the debt ceiling standoff with about two weeks to go. They're going to be joined by the House Democratic leader and Senate leadership. The two parties enter a critical week for debt ceiling talks, hoping that they could find some common ground on spending levels and energy regulations to avert a devastating default. In recent days, lower level staff have been negotiating, but the two sides did not appear close to an agreement. After refusing to negotiate for months and asking for a clean increase on debt ceiling like previous presidents got, Biden is now talking to Republicans who control the U.S. House. The White House now not ruling out the annual spending caps. It is something Republicans say must accompany any increase in the nation's $31.4 trillion debt limit. A warning to all of you today. Don't expect much. We'd be a real shocker if they came up with a deal. Also, Washington not known to come up with deals with two weeks to go. They love to procrastinate till the last second. 
uh, and the two sides remain far apart. Speaker McCarthy saying recently that the talks are not going well so far. He was quoted as saying, there's no progress that I see, and it concerns me that we don't have a timeline. Biden made no public comments on the state of negotiations on Monday. He did tell reporters on Sunday that he thought both sides want to reach a deal, and I think we'll be able to do it. So they're going to have this meeting today, and then President Biden leaves for Japan for the G7 summit of the uh, major world leaders of the seven biggest economies, which will leave little time when he returns to reach a deal before the U.S. is set to run out of money to pay its bills. Treasury officials believe that could come as soon as June 1st, so really just a couple of weeks away here. A reminder that the debt ceiling is literally how much the U.S. can borrow, and once we hit the debt ceiling, uh, we're not able to pay bills uh, that we've already taken out. So by increasing the debt ceiling, uh, it'll literally allow us to pay bills that we already have. The U.S. is risking, again, its first ever default. Economists concerned that it would plunge the country into a recession, inject chaos into global financial markets. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, saying on Monday that it's already resulted in a jump in borrowing costs, because keep in mind, if other countries and organizations believe the U.S. is not good on its debt, that means uh, we have to pay higher rates. And add to all of this, Jill, the pressure from former President Trump who last week at that CNN town hall and since then has said repeatedly that the Republicans who support him should allow the country to default unless all their demands are met, which includes a whole list of demands beyond uh, Biden spending less. They want him to reverse a whole bunch of bills, laws that were passed in the last couple of years. Uh, when Trump was asked about it, by the way, saying that when he was president, he said that nobody should play with the debt ceiling. He literally told CNN last week, yeah, that's when I was president. I'm not president anymore. So I think they should let him default. <laughs> and the audience loved it. Yes. <laughs> the audience of his supporters. But I mean, listen, Jill, this is very risky stuff. And I think we're all hopeful that they can come to some sort of compromise by June 1st. But you know what? In that case, he was being honest because it's quite yeah. true. This happens all the time that candidates criticize certain policies. But then when they're in office, they exactly do those policies and vice versa. Jill, my first job as a researcher for Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday was to literally dig up this hypocrisy from politicians. And you can go back and you can see a then-Senator Biden uh, challenging then-President George W. Bush on the debt ceiling, saying maybe we shouldn't extend it. You see Trump and Republicans who extended it three times, Republicans extended it three times for Donald Trump, no strings attached. And now Republicans are like, well, Biden's in office, so we're going to attach some strings here. And so it goes both ways. Uh, and, you know, it's a leverage tool, right? Because we've created this like fake debt ceiling for ourselves that we have to raise repeatedly 100 plus times over the last 100 years. And it's a leverage play. And that's what you see here when we have split government and we can't get basic things done. So this is where we stand two weeks to go. Let's see how the meetings go. But all of you can expect, and again, this is based on covering the stuff for the last 20 years, that they will take this thing up until the deadline next week. And then when the stock market starts to have some really rough days next week, Washington will get into gear. That's at least what we've seen happen several times. Tracking some AI news for you here. Look for some major headlines this week, according to Insider.com. Chat GPT about to get a whole lot better. OpenAI, which is the company behind the AI chatbot, has announced that it's going to be rolling out some new features to Chat GPT Plus users this week. 
So users who pay for ChatGPT+, which uses model GPT-4, are going to have access to a web browsing feature that will provide up-to-the-minute information. Web browsing has the potential to be a game changer, particularly in making ChatGPT a promising search engine. Prior to the update, ChatGPT was limited to what it could answer as it was only trained on data up until 2021. So this made it useless when it came to information about current events and real-time developments. So with ChatGPT's web browser, users can ask multiple specific questions. And again, we'll be learning more about this later this week. The bot will then summarize the answer as well as multiple news articles it deems relevant in a matter of seconds. If it doesn't provide the desired result, you can then change uh, the prompt for a more nuanced answer. ChatGPT Plus, again, this is if you pay for it, will have access to more than 70 third-party plugins for the web, including Expedia, Kayak, Instacart. With these plugins, users will also be able to prompt ChatGPT to perform tasks on specific websites. So in a demonstration OpenAI had for this, they demonstrated OpenTable and Instacart plugins, and they were using the example of a user looking for vegan food in San Francisco. Not atypical for San Francisco, of course. <laughs> the user asked ChatGPT to suggest one great restaurant for Saturday and then a simple recipe for Sunday. So it found that restaurant immediately populated an order for delivery based on the tastes of that person. Uh, and then also for the simple recipe, already put in all the ingredients into a cart for Instacart for you to order everything that they it just suggested in that recipe. And it does come, Jill, as Google, which is competing with Microsoft, which is invested in ChatGPT. Google has something called Bard. It announced recently that it is now available in 180 countries, the Google Bard competitor. It is so fascinating, though, because I was messing around with ChatGPT over the weekend, trying to see if I could use it to write the podcast. <laughs> We're still trying to get it to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here was the prompt that I put in. I wrote, write a news story about the current status of negotiations between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden when it comes to the debt ceiling. It apologized and said, as an AI language model, I cannot generate real-time news stories or information as I do not have access to current news sources. Additionally, I cannot speculate or create fictional news stories. Is there anything else that I can assist you with? At that point, I had it due on this day in history, which was amazing. <laughs> and I sent it to Mosh. I was like, I, I think we got it. We're good. Right. But before 2021, it's great. It's great <laughs> on this day in history. I should state for the record, Jill, that's one of the reasons uh, I had to write the podcast today, including the debt ceiling update, because ChatGPT, not quite there. <laughs> before we realized, though, that ChatGPT did not have access to news sources or really current information, what we were going to do is that I was going to use it to write one story in the podcast and have Mosh guess which one it was. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do that until they do this update. And then perhaps we will. Okay, from ABC News, a Nigerian chef on Monday set a new global record for the longest hours of nonstop cooking. She cooked for 100 hours, which surpasses the current record. Hilda Bassi had been cooking since last Thursday when she set out to beat the Guinness World Record of 87 hours and 45 minutes. That was in 2019 by an Indian chef. As of late Monday evening, she cooked for the 100th hour in the Lekki area of Lagos, Nigeria's commercial hub. Thousands who gathered at the scene sang her praises as she stopped cooking a few minutes after. Yeah, Jill, I was watching Nigerian TV coverage, as I do, on YouTube of this. This is like a big event there. Um, a number of the news networks there were covering it. 
She apparently would get five-minute breaks every hour or an accumulated one-hour break after a stretch of 12 hours uh, for bathing, medical checkups, resting. I mean, 100 hours of straight cooking. Pretty uh, remarkable. The Guinness Book of World Records tweeted that they're aware of the chef's attempt to break the record. They're going to review all the evidence uh, first before officially confirming the record. But it appears she did it, Jill. Basi spoke to the media after breaking the record, saying that her goal here was to show how hardworking and determined Nigerian young people, and particularly young African women are, who are often sidelined in that society. So she had a larger objective here of uh, really setting an example and showcasing what Nigerian women can do. Very cool. I can't believe she was able to stay up that long. That's just wild. But before we finish up our speed read and get to our favorite story of the day, I just want to thank everybody who has signed up for Mo News Premium. The Mo News team has been expanding every week. And we are so grateful to all of you for heading over to mo.news slash premium. Yeah, that's what we're calling all our Mo News Premium members, the Mo News team. Uh, I would love for our Mo News team uh, staff to be as large as the Mo <laughs> News team premium members. We'll get there, but we're appreciating all of you who have become members of our Mo News team uh, by joining premium. It's a way for us to sustain what we're currently doing. Also, grow our offerings. As you heard earlier on the podcast, we've launched the daily newsletter. So we're continuing to try to grow what we're doing on as many platforms as possible. And your support for premium will let us do that. Again, if you head over to mo.news slash premium, it'll get you access to behind-the-scenes episodes, a private uh, members-only podcast, as well as a members-only Instagram account where you'll get, again, behind-the-scenes content, your questions answered, etc. It's a way to support us and support independent journalism. It's $7 a month or $70 a year. That uh, annual package comes with two months free. Again, check that out right now at mo.news slash premium. From Yahoo Life, Martha Stewart is a woman of many talents, and now she could add Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover model to that list. The 81-year-old is one of the latest cover stars on the iconic magazine's 2023 issue, stealing the title of the oldest to pose for the publication from May Musk, that is Elon Musk's mother, who appeared on the 2022 cover when she was 74 years old. Stewart said, quote, usually I'm motivated by pay, but this time I was motivated by showing people that a woman my age could still look good, feel good, be good. I thought that this is kind of historic and that I better look really good. And she does. She looks awesome. She looks great. Uh, Jill, she revealed it on the Today Show on NBC on Monday morning. Let's take a listen to a bit of what she told uh, Savannah and Hoda. To be on the cover at my age was uh, was a challenge. And uh, and I I think I met the challenge. In what way? Well, I I I didn't starve myself, but I I didn't eat any bread or pasta for a couple of months. Uh, I went to Pilates every other day, mm. and that was great. The Pilates I I'm still going to Pilates every other day because uh-huh. it's so great. Um, and um, and I just I, I live a clean life anyway, mm-hmm. pretty you know good diet and good exercise and and uh, healthy skincare and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of fun. <laughs> The Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, of course, holds a special place in the American psyche with regards to beauty ideals. Uh, Jill, I went to my favorite octogenarian, Elaine, uh, who is my wife's grandma, uh, and I call her my grandma, of course, now too. She is set to turn 88 this week, actually. So happy early birthday, Elaine. And I was like, what do you think about Martha Stewart uh, posing on the cover of Sports Illustrated? And she said, and she just sent me a text, I thought it sent the message that seniors are still viable, functioning people. I think it's fantastic. I should mention Elaine also asked her boyfriend, Ed, 
who's 93 years old. He agrees that it's fantastic news. And so it's playing big in the um, oxygenarian, frankly, all communities, really. Jill. I posted this on my Instagram account, Jill R. Wagner, for anyone out there who wants to follow me. And I asked what people thought. Almost everybody said that they loved it. She's crushing it, killing it, yada, yada. I did have one friend, though, who made an interesting point, which was Martha Stewart has clearly had some work done, right? She's Oh, and you can imagine co- there was some photoshopping yes. and touch-ups to the photos. Yeah. And her take on it was, is this setting up unrealistic expectations? Just another thought. I'm going to ask Grandma Elaine how she feels about (laughs) uh, your friend's comments, given that Grandma Elaine is 88. And I've met her, and she's the best. All right, now time for On This Day in History. On This Day in 1866, the U.S. Congress passed legislation calling for the creation of a five-cent piece of currency composed of nickel and copper. The currency would eventually become known as the nickel. It wasn't always worth five cents, though. The previous year, what they were calling the nickel was a three-cent coin. They made it a five-cent coin. Apparently, at the time, Jill, we also had a coin called the half dime. We were still getting our act together back then. Uh, More fun facts for you. It turns out that calling it a nickel is misleading. Nickels should be called coppers because so-called nickels today are actually 75% copper, Jill. (laughs) Jill, do you remember who's on the front of the nickel? Why do you do this to me, (laughs) Moshe? Yeah. No, you're forgiven. You're forgiven if you don't, I don't remember. I don't. It's Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson <laughs> is on the front of the nickel. And by the way, I probably wouldn't have done well with that, but I've been researching the nickel today in preparation <laughs> for this podcast. You mean the copper? The copper. By the way, it was actually made out of silver, the five cent coins before that. <laughs> so I'm confusing you all. They were silver. They were copper. They were nickel. The nickel's made out of copper. Just mess with people today on the nickel, you probably don't have any in your pocket because when's the last time anybody ever carried change around? Me. I have started to carry change. I've started to use a lot of cash and I'm like counting pennies and change whenever I'm paying for stuff. And I feel like people are behind me like, lady, get it together. They they are. They are. (laughs) They definitely are. Who is this woman? Anyway, let's fast forward now to the 20th century. Uh, On this day in 1929, the first Academy Awards were held. There were 12 categories. 270 people in attendance, and Jill, the Academy Awards, that first time, lasted 15 minutes. The good old days. The good old days. 12 categories, 15 minutes. Uh, It was not broadcast for radio or TV. All right, a bit of food news, iconic food news. On this day in 1965, SpaghettiOs were introduced to the market. Uh Uh-oh, SpaghettiO. There you go. The following year, some music news for you. On this day, May 16th, 1966, American rock group The Beach Boys released their masterwork, Pet Sounds, Jill, arguably one of the best albums of all time. And finally, some movie news for you. On this day in 1986, Top Gun was released in American theaters, making Tom Cruise a household name. I feel the need, the need for speed. (laughs) It's still a great movie. The sequel is awesome. But the the original is still great. And it's still something that I will watch if it's on TV or, you know, if I see it on Netflix or wherever it is. Fantastic film. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And be sure to join Mo News Premium, mo.news slash premium to continue to support what we're doing here. So grateful to all of you who have already done that. Uh, Also, you can leave us a voicemail if you want to ask questions and have your questions heard on the podcast. 1-800-711-MOSH. Again, 1-800-711-MOSH. M-O-S-H. M-O-S-H. Sorry. Yes. 1-800-711-M-O-S-H. And don't forget, of course, to follow us over on Instagram. 
uh, on the Mosh Instagram account, which incidentally is at M-O-S-H-E-H. There you go, Jill. Thanks for the distinction. The reason I mention this is because my parents were like, you need to be clearer about the spelling of Mosh on the Instagram account and on the phone number. Thank you, Carol Wagner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.